Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we look at these verses from Luke chapter 12, as always, invite your spirit to be among us. May you teach us. <clears throat> May all that is said and shared be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, these verses in uh, <clears throat> many of your Bibles are kind of got a little... Now, the little subtitles were not there in the original text. But uh, it's often referred to as what I've got down as the title today, The Rich Fool. Who has this as your favorite passage of Scripture? That, my hand is not up. Um, we don't just love this passage. Uh, actually, when I saw it, the, the lectionary gospel reading, I thought, this is the week to, to move away from the lectionary. I didn't want to preach it. You know why? People don't want to hear it, including me. But that's often where we may need to realize what we need to hear. But this passage, and some of y'all thinking when you hear it read, okay, great, here's another. Uh, preacher, hit us up for money. Make us feel guilty for not, I'll just let you know off the top. I, I believe, I believe in the tithe, 10%. Uh, this is my theological stance. You can disagree with me, pastors disagree with me, something, but 10% off the top before you pay your taxes, before you pay your pension. I, I trust Jesus more than I do the federal government, and more than I do the economy or the Dow Jones. So off the top, 10% is the starting point. That's the minimum. And then you give in above that as God leads to things. So just know that's my theology. And, and because, and one of the things is greed, biblically and historically and culturally, is one of the most, if not the most, destructive forces on planet Earth. I've said that before. It caused more wars, genocide, people groups, caste systems, treating... I mean, it, it, it usually you peel away the layers at most anything. Greed is at the core if it causes destruction. And the biblical antidote... To greed is generosity. That is how you combat it. Whew. So we got that over with. We got that part done. That's, that's my theology around that, if anybody wanted to know. But I want us to kind of camp out, because sometimes we'll get so stuck in tithing and, and paying towards the church, we may miss some of the truth in this passage. Because it's really one we don't love. And often when we don't love it, it just has a way of exposing us. And y'all know me, context is important. What Jesus has just said to his disciples, he said, if you will claim Jesus, if you will defend Jesus, if you will claim the name, and when you are hauled up before governments, and before the synagogue. God will remember you. 
And he says, and when you're hauled up in front of people, you're, you're talking about being persecuted and arrested. And being asked to deny the name of Jesus. Jesus has just said, don't you worry about what you're supposed to say. The Holy Spirit, which we've been talking about three weeks. Remember, Jesus wants to give you the Spirit. Guide and lead. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. That is the last thing that just came out of Jesus' mouth. And some guy in the gathered group says, Wow, he's a good teacher. He's so a justice and says such truth. Raise his hand and say, Now, will you tell my brother to give me my part of the inheritance? And it almost reads in the text like Jesus, What? What are you even asking? Were you not paying attention? Did you miss what I've been talking about? That's almost how it reads. I told you, Luke loves contrast. What do you, what, what do you, but I don't know about you, but that so exposes me. That makes me so vulnerable sometimes, a feeling makes me uncomfortable. I remember a couple months ago, I, I was driving and, and I'll just be honest, it was, we were thinking about, struggling financially and some some financial struggles and some things going on and when you worry about is there enough for tomorrow we're going to be enough for my kids and you know i it was so easy to not worry about that kind of stuff before kids and then they want stuff somebody else has like i said this morning you're thinking is there you know and just really frustrated on praying gosh are we and some things were happening for us financially where income was going down and things were going to get tight and very difficult and then I read, as it talked about Christian martyrdom globally. Global martyrdom among people who are followers of Jesus has now reached the level that people are beginning to use the language genocide in some countries and places in the world. And I don't know about you, but that just kind of, what? That's kind of the feel here. Jesus is talking about, and when you're hauled up before people, and, and we're Jesus, but can you, can, you make, can you make my Roth IRA be a little more substantial so I can be set for the future? I mean, that's all true stuff, and it, and it makes us uncomfortable. I don't know about you, it makes me uncomfortable. So there's a couple things I want us to notice in this passage. It's meant to make the reader, actually the hearer who is hearing it read orally as part of the entire gospel of Luke being read orally, it is meant to make you uncomfortable. To a persecuted church who sometimes people are falling away because they don't want to stand up for what they might, might cost them. To then say, but wait a minute, I, I, I'm worried about, is there going to be enough for my retirement? And when God calls somebody a fool, 
That's a little uncomfortable. I mean, we just sang and I prayed about his steadfast love. But God going around calling folks a fool. Now, there's something to notice here. I'll give you a little way out. I'll give all of us a little, whew, a little way out. Jesus doesn't call the guy who asked the question a fool. He just tells a story about a fool. Good Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He doesn't look at him and say, you fool. He just, let me tell you this parable. And he tells this story. But he begins this story by saying, you need to be aware of covetousness. The whole theme of the overarching idea, covetousness. Talked about in children's moments with the kids. Wanting stuff and desiring other people's stuff and coveting. And that is one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. Coveting leads to greed. Greed the most destructive for all that stuff. Not coveting. And then he tells this story of where coveting can go or maybe where it births or what. Just this story of this person that I'm just going to look at a few things, and I'm not going to tell you I have the magic answer. Probably next, next week, this passage will bother me just as much as it did last week. But we can't dodge the truth of Scripture. That one of the things in there that is unique to this parable, that is, that is key, that I, think, that I think Jesus wants them to get, is the conversation that's going on. This fool, who is the one that does the talking through the whole parable. Who does this fool talk to the most? Not rhetorical. We read it. Who? Self. Himself. That's what he says. Well, look what I've produced. I've got this. I look, but, but, but pro, he doesn't go stealing it. He doesn't. He worked hard for it. He's not that he's a thief or a crook or a liar or something. He just says, "Look what produce I've got. What should I do with it? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and I'll put it in that and then I will tell my soul, soul, look, you have got. You can just rest and relax because look what you have got." Things are okay. He spends the whole parable talking to himself. It's important. Who did we talk about last week we need to do, spend a little time talking to? Anybody? Who doesn't get asked anything by the fool? God. God. There we go. Thank you. God. He doesn't ask other people. He doesn't talk to other followers, other friends. We talked about community being so important in that Lord's Prayer. And, and he doesn't consult God. I'm going to just give you a little, a little insight into Scripture. You can go through the entire Bible. And just underline who asked God and who didn't. You can just do that in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles and see why kings got into a mess. Even some of them that did great things. 
And they just didn't consult God. And ask, was that something God wanted them to do? That one of the things is we... He spends all the time talking. Anybody talk to yourself? I do. My hand is really, really high. I try to shift that to prayer and talking to God, but sometimes I know it's on me. Anybody kind of analytical? I think all of us kind of are. We're in different ways. I'm kind of a big picture analytical. You know, where is the big picture issue? Where is the, you know, my wife is kind of a day-to-day detailed plan her day backwards kind of analytical. I have time to get everything done and that it's a different type, but and we'll talk to ourselves through it. And if I realize I'm just talking and answering and talking to myself and I'm just going to throw out an idea. I don't think self-analysis why it's important to know yourself and important to, but being able to analyze in an analytical mind coming to everything is a fruit of the Spirit. Am I wrong? Don't know the list. I, I got hanging in my office, and it's because I wrote it in big letters across from my desk, and then when I left Poplar Springs Drive, they then gave me a painting of it. But I just wrote it on paper. I typed it out. And it was saying across there, seriousness is not a fruit of the Spirit, and joy is. Because sometimes I can get so... I'm just not pleasant to be around. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But there are some times when we can so focus on ourselves. We have a culture. This is not new, unique to today. It's been our problem since the beginning. But we have a culture that forces us to think about self. Stuff. Sometimes when I'm talking to myself, and I'll begin arguing, and then I'll have an argument with a fictitious person, or then it's a real person. You ever done that? And then you win the argument really well, and then you keep playing it over and over and over, and you could even do it better and better, and how you're going to master that argument. And then I'll ask God. Sometimes I won't ask God and just let it go forever and let the stuff build. Then I'll ask God, and usually God lets me know. I better go make amends. I've got a problem with whoever that is and in that relationship. It's spending all our time focusing on self is destructive. We see that in here. Real quick, I, I wouldn't plan on saying this. It's just going to come out. Because I'm not against social media. But I don't do much social media. But y'all remember Facebook when it first started? I mean, it started, you know, for Ivy League kids to know where the party was. But then when people started using it, but it would be so, you know, people would put stuff on there like, I just made this fool of myself doing this thing. And somebody would say, you're not alone. I've done something just as stupid. It's vulnerability that it brought out was attractive. And I remember being in meetings with church leaders and we were talking about, how do you utilize Facebook for marketing for the church? And the point was, and I would make this point, like, you don't. 
That's why it's so popular. You have to actually do something that people choose to talk about, that they think is valid and worthy of sharing. You don't get to use it as more. But guess what happened? What got involved? Money and greed. And it is devastating people. New forms of depression have emerged. Because we so focus on myself and my stuff and it doesn't measure up and it doesn't do, which leads us into the next point of covetousness. is comparison. We will compare and we will look and we've got... We, it, a study was done long ago saying... They're like 50 to 60%, I think, was the numbers of people that would abandon their families to be famous. Fame and being YouTube famous and all that has just gone overboard. That we will compare and we will think, I need that, or I will look at that. And all through Luke's gospel... And through the entire Bible, but especially Luke's gospel, reminds people, who, who are you comparing to? Because we'll start comparing and measuring up who, who is better and who, even comparing ourselves to people that have less. And, well, I've got more, I'm better, and I'm this. And he just shatters all that. Just shatters it. I didn't share this kind of antidote to the first point of this talking self, but I kind of hinted at it. It is talking to the Holy Spirit is what Luke gives you is the way out of this. So on the comparison level, instead of comparing yourself, what does he do? We just saw it. You see it from the Good Samaritan. He shatters these distinctions of how we compare ourselves. I'm better. And that is what birthed liberation theology out of Luke. And I'm not saying I agree with liberation theology. It was really popular when I went to Emory. And, but I'm just saying what has made the idea that it just needs to be shattered and entered into relationships, you will hear me say this a lot, of mutual respect. I remember being in a meeting years ago. We were talking about in the conference how we're going to end homelessness and bring a thousand people out of homeless. We're not going to bring one person out of homelessness unless the person and people involved know the name and love and are friends with someone who is homeless. And you care about them. And it is a relationship of mutual respect where nobody is anybody's project you just care about the other person. That is what ends the issue. That is what we're given to be an antidote, biblical antidote to comparing that leads to coveting. One last issue that comes up, and we'll be done. And it really kind of builds up out of this parable, and then it's everything he says for the next chunk of a lot of the chapter. Because the next thing Jesus says after this story is, don't be anxious. It is anxiety. And we know the truth. We know the stuff. 
Have you read the data? We are the richest people that have ever walked to the face of the earth throughout human history. North Americans. Yeah. I'm glad to be here. We are also the most medicated, depressed, anxious, unable to sleep people that have ever walked the face of the earth. Stuff doesn't work. We know it. But who gets a little anxious around it? We got a couple honest people. We do. That's what Jesus has to remind them over. Don't be anxious about stuff. Life is more than what you'll wear or what you'll eat or what you'll have. It is, it is the kingdom stuff. And the biblical antidote to that anxiousness, and I'm not telling you I am there. I am telling you I am on the journey with you. But it is do you believe the truth of who God says that God is? Do you believe the truth that God says about God's self? We pray it every Sunday. Your kingdom, it's about your dear kingdom here on earth and you want us to reverse stuff and be in the kingdom and you will meet our needs daily. Not the stockpile for the week daily. But do we really believe it? Really believing it, and it's hard. But being on that journey of where we really believe it, the truth of who Jesus says he is, is what makes the body of Christ countercultural. What gives a glimpse of the kingdom and transforms the world. And as we prepare to share this sacramental meal together, we are connected with Christians around the world, some who are being dismally persecuted, who will be killed if it was publicly known they celebrated this meal. And we are connected to Christians throughout history. And even the disciples themselves of Jesus who struggled with these same issues. Doesn't mean we don't need to confess and repent and then we need to hear the good news. I know your stuff. And I died for it. That you may have life. We may have life in his name and what he gives and live in the kingdom and it change everything. Let us pray. The Lord in the midst of a culture, but it is nothing new. You even suffered with all the temptations that we face. Your word says that. Our focus on self. Our comparison to others. And the anxiety that it creates. Do we measure up? What will other people think? It has plagued us since the Garden of Eden. And your response is to give the creator of the universe, the one who had all authority, 
washes our feet, and dies for us. To show us none of that stuff matters. And it invites us to stop comparing and just take on the role of a servant or a slave. And that's how the world will know who you are. May we believe the truth of the gospel as we prepare to celebrate this meal. May we experience your grace and even your conviction and your transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to turn with me in your hymnals.